My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Hello, everybody. Welcome to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Cami Ahrens. And I'm TJ Smith. And we have part three today of our special series this month for Black History Month. Today, we're going to be featuring an interview from an individual named Bruce Mosley. He worked at the Dillard House, which is here in Georgia, and was born and raised in Clayton, Georgia. So he's pretty local, and he was interviewed twice, once in 1976 and once in 1977. So the excerpts we're sharing today are going to be kind of a a conglomeration from both of those interviews. Um, Bruce is a really interesting character. I know you didn't get the opportunity to listen to all four and a half hours of his interviews, TJ, but (laughs) Bruce was quite the storyteller, and he's uh, one of those gentlemen who, once you open the door for him, he's just going to kind of keep going. And in both of his interviews, he just shared story after story after story of like place names um, such as Screamer Mountain. He gives mm-hmm. an origin story for Screamer Mountain, which is here in Raven County. But he also shares a lot from um, oral history he inherited from his grandmother. He, um, like several people in this region, was raised by his grandmother instead of his parents. And his grandmother was actually a former slave from Murphy, North Carolina. And so she shared some really interesting stories with him about her experiences during slavery, but particularly um, when the Yankees came and freed the slaves. But as with any oral history narrative, I think there might be a little bit of um, misremembering or inconsistencies in Bruce's stories. Well, I I think the, the... There's a there's a common motif and a thread of a certain generation about the Civil War and about sort of the Union Army's role in um, emancipating slaves as they came through the South. Some of which is true. Some of which is part of a larger folklore in the South within the African American community. It's really interesting. Um, when I when I think about it, I also think about it in terms of the emancipation stories from World War II that came out of, out of uh, from Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of really great work on that. Um, but it is a part of this larger um, community memory within the black community in the South. Um, and, and it's one of those deals where, you know, a lot of these communities have these similar emancipation stories. It's uh, another similarity would be, especially in Georgia, this is a, a, an interesting thing that I encountered in a number of towns that I lived in over the years in Georgia is that a lot of the, the a lot of towns in Georgia have a Sherman spared us story. So if you're familiar with Tecumseh Sherman's March to the mm-hmm. Sea, um, there are you know a lot of different accounts about him you know burning, uh, certainly burning Atlanta and, and wrecking the railroad system and those things that were strategic parts of the Union Army's march towards uh, the Atlantic uh, to disable a lot of the Confederate. Um, you know, uh, logistical support. But in these towns, they have these stories, you know, Tecumseh Sherman marched through our town and he thought it was so beautiful that he spared it. <laughs> and, and like every town that's along a certain, like within 
50 miles in either direction of the actual line of Sherman's March have this story. Mm. It's pretty interesting. So a lot, you know, the communities, um, you know, the black community, white communities, communities in general, you'll find a lot of this interesting folklore around these big events like, you know, like the war and like emancipation. Uh, so I, that, that was one thing that stood out to me in his, his telling of his, of his grandmother's story um, that I thought was interesting. Something I thought about was like, yeah, there's a lot of these emancipation stories. And yeah. That's a common thread. And that's one of the beauties of folklore and how memory works and how story works. You know, there's there's truth in there. There's also memory that's created. You know, it's a, we get sentimental. We get romantic in our memories about the past. And, and that might be an example of that. Yeah. Well, and I was just kind of astonished by the specificity of his memories inherited from his grandmother mm-hmm. i mean he's talking about you know the soldiers chasing down the geese and yes. the white plantation owner's wife like yelling at them <laughs> so it, it does make for a really interesting story but um yeah I, I would say it is probably a little bit romanticized and certainly since it's a memory passed to him from another person um there's probably you know again some elaboration but i i do think it's a really valuable interview yeah. what what really stood out to me, you know, in all, all, you know, four, four and a half hours of listening to these interviews, he really didn't talk at all about current race relations, which in most of the interviews that we've um, collected with African-Americans, especially in the 70s, you know, they kind of glaze over contemporary issues. And part of that reason, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's several reasons, but part of it may largely be because, as we've mentioned before, um, they were being interviewed by white students. So, you know, people of a different race, people of a um, different age, different generation. Um, And so there's probably, you know, some... There's a lot of variables. Omissions, yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of variables. Um, It could be a mission. It could be um, sort of a feeling of, um, like, understanding the dynamic from the teller's perspective, so from the perspective of Bruce Mosley, he's speaking to these young people. They're young white people. It's not necessarily that he's holding back, but he's being he's being an adult and being a grown up. And and a lot of times yeah. as grown ups and as nurturers, and, and Bruce was certainly one. We talked about Carrie Stewart's sort of like nurturing instinct. I think the same with Anna Tut, yeah, uh, who we'll sure. talk about next week. There's a there's a instinct to protect the young people from some of the more terrible things. And we do this as parents. We do this as grandparents um, where we don't necessarily always tell our young children the truths (laughs) about our lives because we want to spare them. Yeah, definitely. You know, having to hear that. And so there may be some of that at play too. There's, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, something that we'll probably talk about, you know, a million more times as we do this podcast with oral history and it's something I'd like to, to talk to somebody like, you know, Doug Boyd or somebody about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all these all these things impacting a, an oral history that can change or manipulate the, the stories being told. So. Yeah. We always like to say that oral history is never, you know, unbiased. There's right. always There's always several biases influencing yes. what you're recording. So, you know, just, just bear that in mind as you listen to these interview excerpts. But I will say that one of the things I love most about Bruce's interview is he talks about how his grandmother told him how much things had changed. And then he in turn talks about how much has changed since he was a child. One of my favorite things from this interview, though, is um, Bruce 
does predict one day that there will be an African-American president. And, you know, he didn't live to see that come to fruition, but it was kind of cool to go back and see this prophecy that he'd made back in the 1970s with, you know, firm conviction that this was going to happen someday and to know that that it did. There's a certain, yeah, and that, that speaks to his optimism about the relationships, I think, between between races, is that he saw that that is a, is a possibility in 1976, 77. Yeah, which yeah. Is, pretty pretty amazing anyway without further ado we will let bruce speak for himself at this point we hope you enjoy these few excerpts and if you are interested in reading more about bruce there is a chapter um, published on him in foxfire 8 um, so you can definitely grab a copy of that book and, and read more about bruce and we will be back next week with our fourth and final episode for this month so uh, make sure to tune in then thanks for listening thanks how old are you, Bruce? Oh, uh, sure, you wouldn't be. I'm even you. I'm coming up with the old timers. I'm 12 years old than my wife. I was born in 1908. You've been to school. Yeah. And my birthday is August the 30th. I'll be 69 this August coming, 30th. I'd like to know about your family. Huh? I'd like to know about your family, you know, where your parents came from. And well, my parents, parents uh, I never seen my father. Uh -huh. I never have seen my father. But there's older people here, Harley Penland, they was at Jesse and Lewis's father. Yeah. You know Jesse yeah. and Lewis. Mm -hmm. Their father knowed my father. He come from Charleston, South Carolina, into this part. He come from my, uh, there's two kinds of Spanish people. Two you kinds. know that there's two kinds, there's two, there's two nationalities of Spanish people. There's a black Spanish and then there's a white Spanish. Right. Well, my father was the black Spanish. Uh -huh. And uh, they originated <coughs> from Spain when they was, this country wasn't several civilized. None of these places, the Indians owned it. Uh -huh. Miss Leslie brought, Miss Leslie's mother, Miss M. Walls. She brought my father into this country from over there in Charleston. She All right, was, now, did he just work for her, or was yeah. this before the Civil War? When was it? It was before the Civil War. Right. But this was back when there was slavery time. That's now, my grandmother, Polly, what I told you, I first stated about my, I was born and raised up under Screamer Mountain mm -hmm. here, under the Blakely Spring. Uh, she was uh, Tom Duckett. He's passed. He used to be there. Uh, he was the cashier of the bank. And he said that uh, Polly was 103 year old. I, I, did, I asked him for that. I said, how old was Mama? I called her Mama. Yeah. She raised me from a day old. My mother had inflammatory rheumatism when I was born, a day old. Mm -hmm. And they had to turn her in the bed sheet. Uh, her skin was so tender and so mm -hmm. sore. This was a rheumatism that killed people back them days. Mm -hmm. And they had to turn her in a sheet they couldn't grasp her. You know, with his neck of him. Her to, to catch a hold of her. Yeah. And uh, they'd turn her in the sheet. And my grandmother took me and raised me on a bottle when I was uh, bottling it when I was a day old, probably. Mm. And as I grew on up into the world, uh, I called her mama. And my mama was named May. She's dead now. Mm. Well, I called my grandmother Mama Yet. My grandmother, Polly, I just told you, come from Murphy, North Carolina. She was uh, three-quarter Indian, Cherokee. Cherokee? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my grandmother, she kept me in it and carried me everywhere she went to. She used to carry me up on the stream and take a pine knot on a, these tow bags right. and knock pine knot, these rich pine knots off the logs that we build fires out in the woods or coon hunting and camping out. Told them all, and then she'd sit down and uh, she'd go to talking about these high mountains, way on back to Lula Falls Gardens and all how they'd walk from Murphy across uh, Hiawassee and through Towns County and Blasville and Young Harris. They'd walk from over Murphy across through over here, they'd just a panther trail, pig trail. And uh, her mama, I believe she said her mama died back when she was just a real young. Her name was Maggie. And uh, they was real old. You know, they must have been old when they were in slavery. My grandmother, uh, she would go back to the Fords with some of the people to Murphy to see her folks, and they, her father died out. And uh, I don't know, she used to name her sisters. She really didn't know them. They'd passed when she was just a little girl and scared to even try to find out. Mm -hmm. And uh, she'd go into the cook kitchen with the, to cook for these uh, big, rich, white people. And it, they'd bake these old pat-out biscuits with a hand. Yeah. They didn't let them roll them out, you know. They didn't want them to do nothing nice. They just mean. They had it, but you had to do it the hard way. Call it slavery. She saw these uh, Yankees when she was seven years old. And uh, where they come out from was the top end of New York. Mm -hmm. As I say, up around the uh, Bronx. And uh, on up in as uh, far as Niagara Falls. Yeah. And way up in Maine. But anyhow, the way Mama told it, it was the truth. Because she was, she was, she was really a God-serving old lady. And she said that uh, this uh, this Mosley man that had them under uh, under bondage said, "What in the world are we going to do?" And uh, he said, "I don't know what to do." He says, "What are they up to? What are they going to do?" And these old big uh, geese, you know, you've seen them in yeah. people's yards. And they'll blow at you, and they'll bite yeah. you. And said, them Yankee soldiers, you know, they had them old long swords. He just sat with them, this white one, and head on, and he just goes flopping and jumping, and said, don't you kill my geese. He says, be quiet there, lady. And you know, she, she didn't never took no order somebody telling her to be quiet, because <laughs> she was white, but she didn't know what this is all about. And he said, you sit down. He said, sit down and see what's going on. He said, you don't even know what you and said the old man, he's the one to get a gun. The Mister uh, old man Moses, you know what we yeah. was under. He didn't know. He, he didn't know them on to shoot some of them. And uh, some of the soldiers mounted him right fast and just wrestled him onto the ground in one hand and took his his old musket shotgun, his old uh, captain balls. Yeah. What he called a paper pack. <coughs> Go off today and kill you tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> those old musket muzzleloaders, yeah. they have my shooting matches now, you know, the old yeah. hammercock back. Uh -huh. And uh, they uh, wrestled him around on the ground, and he wanted to fight. He wanted to put up his deuce, and they just slapped him. My grandmother was telling me, says, oh, says, hey, uh, she called his name, but I forgot his given name. And yeah. said, he says, you know, we'll have to tell you what we're up for. Says there's plenty more. It 
going on ahead. And it went into South Carolina, all over Georgia, was our fourth state. Plum on down into New Orleans, Louisiana, Mississippi. That was that was some of the worst places down through there. Yeah. And there's they, a few of them today down in there that uh, would run it over colored people again if they could do it. But you see, the laws changed. Mm -hmm. Everything has changed, and the world got big. But anyhow, said they told them, said we come to free these colored people. No, you ain't. Said yes, we said they had to shove him up again the wall. He it says he called or something, <laughs> not a soul. Says where's my gun? She says oh, says you just says these folks just come to free. Says they come to take our doctors away from us. Says yeah, we ain't come to take them away from. Them. So you gonna go? They, they gonna go in peace if we have to carry them back with us. So the lady said, "You've had these folks under bondage long enough. So don't you understand that they're being freed? So you know that uh, says, because we hate to give them up. It says we're gonna have to. Says and if you fight back, says uh, and these Yankees had their guns with them. They had yeah. they had them same old uh, uh, musket guns, but they would shoot more. They was more accurate than the ones they had." They just had an old single barrel and a powder horn and shot that they put down in that hammer to make yeah. it go off. And they had a little old bitty short cap. The time they had done all of that, uh, loading one gun while there had been a hundred or two of them killed. Well, the Yankees had double barrels and, and uh, pump guns and they had these old cap and ball pistols. They had one on each, in, each side and a scabbard. So my grandmother said that she helped uh, uh, her mother's apron strings are tight. They had these old long aprons on that her hand was sweated. <laughs> and her, the, my grandmother wanted her to turn her loose. You know, she couldn't walk far. <laughs> she couldn't walk far. And she went to cry and said to uh, one of these white boys, says, where's your hammer? Said he didn't know. Said they done got scared too. Said, where's your axe? Is that the wood part? He said, go get it. And he shoved him and said, get that axe. Fetch me the, <laughs> fetch me the axe. <laughs> and he brought him the axe and he says, and they were, they were standing one of them beside of a big crib, bigger than this house, full of this prettiest white corn you ever saw. You know, they have them folks together corn, put it in the crib, you know, yeah. in the ear. And he knocked, busted that lock off. And the door flew open, and it was stuffed so full of corn, it come, coming, uh, just running out on the ground, just, just poured out on the ground. And one of the other soldiers got up in, one of the other Yankee soldiers got up in the crib, and he was pushing it out on the ground with his feet to make the rest of it come out, and they knocked it back into the crib. Mama said she was seeing this, said she was peeping out an old wooden window, <laughs> and the geese come up, was eating corn, and they said, where's the smokehouse? And uh, he told them where the smokehouse was at. He was right next to the crib, right around back. And they went and, uh, they, see, they kept locks on these doors to keep the people, keep the colored people from getting up and going. And st they said that they, her folks had to steal a lot of times mm -hmm. to get something to eat pretty good, you know. And they, they even locked from them. They wouldn't even trust them to go in the meat house to cut off. They'd cut the meat off the south. Whitewood, and and lounge it out to them a piece by piece, and if there's any left, uh, they'd give it to the dogs first. Now, I'm telling you how brutal they was, you know. 
up to the day. You got a heart. She has, and I have, my wife has. Now that, that, that makes you feel pretty sad about things to hear how folks was treated and to see how far that God has brought us along today to change all of that. Well, anyhow, uh, they, they uh, got out in one of the biggest hams they had. There's about, I imagine, about noontime whenever the Yankers was wanting lunch. They didn't go out. There wasn't no cafes or nothing. They just people's homes and plantations just for miles and miles and around. Wasn't no stores or nothing. They just raised everything they had. And uh, all they had is an old blacksmith shop to shoe the mules and uh, horses that they had to ride and that they farmed with. So uh, they uh, had uh, a mama's uh, mother my grandmother's mother said, uh, come on, uh, I forgot who she, uh, she called her that, that middle name. She said, my grandmother, said my mother went and uh, the hamsters are hanging down all along and where they'd killed this many big hogs, you know, to have their bacon and their, and their hams. And uh, they had a big old table where they, they white people eat on and the Yankees wouldn't knock the side of the door down, and this big old table wouldn't go out. It was wider than, uh, that table was wider than my door. A long table where all of the white people would come in and have their feast. And the colored people was out still in the cotton field, but they had some bosses over And, uh, they'd come to dinner whenever they told them to come to dinner. So, they had my grandmother, they had my, um, uh, my grandmother's mother slicing ham for these Yankees and some of those Yankee boys could cook and they, they got them big frying skillets and uh, they put a uh, fire in the stove. My, grandma, uh, my grandmother's mother, they said, no, you sat down, somebody, I can't call that middle name, Magdalene or something, anyway. Uh, well, she's living so she could tell you what she told me. Yeah. But anyway, uh, she, they, the youngest made us sit down. They says, come on, sweetheart, and sit down. They said, you've done enough for her. You ought to hear my grandmother tell that, and she'd go to crying. I said, Mama, don't tell me no more. I said, now, nah. she says, well, she says, uh, I want you to be a good boy coming up now. She says, uh, this thing will be changed one day from where it is now, she says, it's been changed for me up to now. She says, I've had a hard way to go since I got grown. Yeah. You know, since uh, this uh, segregation and all come to in power, well, that was for a purpose. For you and I and the white race is, is to understand one another more and uh, love each other more and get along. That's when we were afraid. The colored race has grown. They've yeah. grown so strong yeah. after they got the, the years upon, you know. We didn't have a chance. No. And you all today, it come in here, uh, just as welcome as the flowers in May. And we're welcome to your parts and all. The Lord's fixed it. Uh, we didn't have no kind of a chance. I know. We was pushed back or knocked back, and you dare not say anything. And you'd have to go to the back door. And knock if they wanted to let you in. Why, they, they, what do you want? To, they'd recognize that dog before they would me. 
you see, you all uh, made the first law. They never have been to list here a few years back. Been a colored lawyer and a colored mayor. That's true. And they're going to be. I told my wife, I can see it. And I hope the Lord will let me live 69 more years. I don't know, but now we'll have a colored president someday. Oh, I'm sure. Because yeah. they are trying to. Every time that, that you turn on that TV, ladies, you can see more and more of high class, educated colored men and colored women that really can do the job, but back on up till now, would have, and they didn't then. And we ain't had this, ain't had a chance to do nothing. No, people but, have been regarded as people instead of yeah, what color they are. Yeah. What mm -hmm. they can do just as an individual. Yeah. Well, them people didn't know nothing about that then. No. I they mean. thought that, uh, well, I'm white and you're black, and you got to stay back. Well, they pushed us back too. Um. Do you remember, like you know, there's not too many families down here now anymore, but did there used to be a lot more? Oh, Lord, yeah. They were the side of people, you know, they come out of the valley. They originated from uh, North Carolina, up around Kiwi and uh, Prentice, and from Otto back down, they got to coming up around Dillard and Raven Gapport, Jabel and Claude, uh, Brother Gibson and his uh, Aunt Liz and Uncle Elam, and uh, they were, let's see, the Boots and... Uh, John Gibson, there's four families of colored people lived up there, and they had children, and they lived up there for a number of years. Well, the white people kept moving in on them, moving in, and they had to have places, and they children, the young white races, coming in from Franklin, coming in from Hiawassee, coming in from different parts, <clears throat> but most of them was born and raised all up and around Wolf Fork and Betty's Creek and uh, up around close to Highlands. And uh, they said, well, uh, somebody got out, some of the lawmen, some of the head uh, head officials. They come down around Clayton, and they got to finding out, uh, well, the, the colored people got to getting in the touch with, they got to coming down and working for people in the fields, uh, pulling fodder and making hay. and. Uh, helping kill hogs and different things that got to yeah. get in Quinta with people down in here. And uh, <clears throat> they found this spot through here for the colored people, to, uh, for colored town. You mean it, it was designated that the black people would buy here? And Yeah, no, this this was given to them right through here. Given? Then. They didn't buy it? No, it is given to them. Wow. You know, it used to be, as uh, we said a while ago, they used to be, you You never catch a white person wanting to live in where there was colored people, you know. And now we can't turn for a white house. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>